Well, it is good to have you here this morning here in Bellingham. Those of you joining us in Skagit, so glad that you're with us today. And Pastor Brian and the team down there. And we are so excited as we continue to count the weeks down until you're in your new facility. Those in Boca Raton, uh, glad you joined us as well. And those with us streaming live on online right now, so good to have you with us today. Our hope and our prayer for you is that you would get connected to the local church. If you're here in Whatcom or Skagit counties, we'd love to have you join us. If not, to go to some uh, church that, that teaches the word of God and lifts up the name of Jesus and be connected with the body of believers there. Uh, starting a, a brand new series today that I'm, I'm very excited about as we enter into 2017. Um, I uh, made a prop for this sermon today. This is, uh, so I made this myself, by the way. It's a piece of paper with a picture of a dead president on it. Actually, this is Richard Nixon. Some of you are old enough to remember that. Um, so this is a, this, I made this, this myself. And, and it really is quite simple, a, a piece of paper with a picture of a dead president. And it really, there's not a whole lot to this other than just a piece of paper with a picture of a dead president. Interesting thing is, this is also a piece of paper with a picture of a dead president. To a certain degree, there's really no difference. To a certain degree... <laughs> They're just pieces of paper with pictures of dead presidents, but they're significantly different. I also have another piece of paper with a dead old man who was never a president, but his hair is kind of like balding in the front and partying in the back. Kind of looks like me, actually. <laughs> this one is, this piece of paper is a little different. Now, if I were to ask you, you know, take one of these pieces of paper, I know that probably the majority of you would choose the one that I created, but uh, there, there's something of, about this piece of paper, this, this little piece of paper with a picture of a, a dead guy on it. And, and we're going to let this represent money. There's something about, something as, on the one hand, just so simple as it's just a piece of paper, and yet these kind of pieces of paper, we can earn them, and we can spend them, and we can save them, and we can borrow them, and we can loan them, and we can invest them, and we can give them. It's because of pieces of paper like this that we can have a roof over our head and clothes on our back and food in our stomach and shoes on our feet. They're, so they're significant, and they help us have life. The other thing is pieces of paper like this have the potential to do amazing things. As we just saw with the bread of life, pieces of paper like this allow us to feed the hungry, to bring education to those who otherwise would not have it, to bring medical attention to the sick, to bring relief to the, to the oppressed. Pieces of paper like this allow us to do medical research so that we can advance. Pieces of paper like this allow us to free those who are captives in, in sex trade or in addiction. Pieces of paper like this allow the cause of Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ to perpetuate throughout the world. Pieces of paper like this have the potential to impact with great generosity for all of eternity. Amazing, a little piece of paper like this could have that kind of a powerful, positive impact. Kind of makes you think these are good things, these pieces of paper. But there's a dark side to these pieces of paper as well. In fact, there's a very famous saying that is often misquoted. But the famous saying says that the love of pieces of paper like this, the love of money, is the root of all kinds of evil. That behind the possibility of good and generosity and impact, there's this dark shadow side of these pieces of paper. Especially when there's a love for them involved. And the kind of sacrifices that people will make to get more of these pieces of paper. They'll sacrifice their time and their energy. 
sacrifice their health, self-care. They'll sacrifice marriages and families and children. They'll sacrifice their integrity, their faith. People will lie and steal and cheat and even kill to get more of these pieces of paper. See, these pieces of paper can bring out the very worst in people. This dark, greedy destruction. It's amazing that this piece of paper could do such incredible good or bring such destruction. Here's another thing about these pieces of paper. These kind of pieces of paper are the number one producer of stress and worry and tension in our lives. Number one, right here in pieces of paper. It's an amazing thing. The American Psychological Association said that 72% of Americans stress over money. 25% of Americans stress at an extreme level. It just overwhelms them. It's amazing that these pieces of paper can bring about such stress and tension that it saps us of a good night's sleep. It saps us of confidence. It saps us of security and peace. Now, I could give you statistics until I'm blue in the face. I won't do that. I could, I could quote to you statistics that would make you just convinced this whole world is falling apart. I won't do that. But one thing is true. That tension and worry and stress over these pieces of paper is one of the top reasons there's tension and arguments and divorce in our marriages. That's amazing. It's just a piece of paper with a dead old guy on it. And yet it has such potential for good, for generosity, for impact, and such potential for destruction and greed and darkness and brings about the producer of so much stress and worry and anxiety. It's amazing how powerful these little pieces of paper are. Here's the good news. With something that has this kind of potential, God's word speaks about these pieces of paper over and over again. It talks about all the aspects that are surrounding these pieces of paper. The good, the leveraging it for good. The darkness, to, the pitfalls to avoid. The stress and the worry and the peace. Earning it, buying, selling, you know, spending, saving, giving, investing. All those things the Bible speaks to. Why? Because we have a heavenly father who loves us. And he loves us so much, he doesn't want to just give us heaven someday. He wants us to give us life today and peace in this life today. And he wants for us to have it right on the money. That we would get it right that we would understand the truth about these pieces of paper so that we could leverage them for good, so that we could bring about peace in our life and avoid the pitfalls of destruction. Now, I know some of you right now are saying, oh, this is what I came back to church for. I knew it. They're all just they're trying to get this hat. It's, their money. it's the money deal. So you remember um, when Bono, I think it was on Rattle and Hum, when he says, the God I believe in doesn't need cash, mister. Remember that? Okay, well, he said something like that. And I want to tell you something. The God I believe in doesn't need cash. He doesn't need your cash. Doesn't need anyone's cash. He's God. Then why would the Bible speak so much about it? Because the God I believe in loves you and I so much. He wants to protect us from the dangers and provide for us the way to utilize these things to bring about life and impact and peace. I always want to tell you, as your pastor, why I do series like this, why I talk about this. And here's my greatest desire, is that I want us as a church, I want you as a follower after Christ, 
I want you to know, understand, believe, and live by the biblical principles regarding finances. Here's why. First of all, because it's God's word and it's the truth. But second, in my life, as short as it's been, only mere 53 years, in my observation, and there are many people who would, who would back me up on this one, in my observation, people who arrange their lives and their finances around biblical truths generally are not the ones whose financial world is upside down and in a mess. People who live their lives around God's principles for finance usually are the ones who have stability in their financial world. And that's what I want for you. See, as Americans, we spend too much, we go deeper in debt, we save too little, and if there's anything left over, we might give a little bit. My desire is that those trends would be, would be reversed in the church, that we would be people who follow God's biblical principles, that we would get out of debt, we would save more, have more margin, and allow us to be even more generous. Now, Cornwall Church is a very generous church, but I think we have even greater potential. I don't want you to be the average American when it comes to financial matters. Okay, one more statistic, then I promise I'm done with those. The Federal Reserve estimate that just about one half of Americans, if hit with a $400 emergency today, would either have to borrow or sell something in order to pay that, that back. Because we're that leveraged, we're that deep in debt, we're, we're that stretched that thin. I just don't want that for us. I want us to be right on the money. Now here's something I'm also very, very excited about. It's because over the years I've done financial series and over the years there have been people who said, that's good, I agree with that, it's, it's inspiring, but man, I, I need some extra help. I'm very excited because this year, at the end of this series, we're able to offer the Financial Peace University. Some of you heard about some of the world-class teaching from Dave Ramsey. It's a nine-week course. I'm so excited that on the tail end of this series that we offer this we're here in Bellingham and at Skagit, on, starting on February 16th, Thursday night, from 6 to 7.30 for nine weeks. Child care is provided. We're going to be getting some of the, some of the best biblical principles on, on our money and our finances to allow you in a practical way to get out of this situation. And some of you desperately need this. And I want to encourage you to take it. Registration opens up tomorrow morning online. There's really a limited number of people that we can take through this. So I would encourage you. And some of you are like, I want to be a part of that. And you should be. And it's going to be great. There are some of you who are sitting here today, you're saying, I probably should do that, but if I was in that class, people would look at me and think, boy, he or she isn't a very good money manager, and they're all this and that, and you're worried about what other people would think of you if you took this class. Let me set your mind at ease with this. My wife and I are taking this class, okay? So if you decide you want to take it, and someone says, really, you're taking that class? I thought that was for people that are really financially messed up. You can just say to them, I'm only taking it to support Pastor Bob. All right, I will be your scapegoat. You can use me on that, but I'm so excited about this. Some of you know about this course. Some of you have taken it, would swear by it. So I'm so excited that we are able to offer that. Uh, some of you um, will really benefit by being a part of that, and, and we'll discuss these things together. You'll be in my group. It'll be great. Okay, so with that, we're going to be spending the next few weeks uh, talking about right on the money. Now, I'm wondering, I'd like someone to help me out. Is there someone willing to hold this for me? Um, okay. But I, two caveats. One, <clears throat> you need to commit to coming to this whole series. You committed to that? And, uh, and if I ask for it, you give it back? Okay, come on up here, Linda. <clears throat> Help me out here. So um, it's just, <clears throat> it's really, uh, you know, come up here. It's really, it's just, a, it's just a piece of paper. 
I mean, can, can you trust a gal like this with a piece of paper? Uh, I would think so. So, Linda, um, I want you to hold on to that for me. And, um, but I need you to be here because sometime in the next couple of weeks I'm going to ask for it back. So I have to bring it every time? Yes, you do. Okay. Bring your Bible and my money. That's, that's all you need to bring to church. All right. And your husband. That's okay, too. So today, as we get into this, uh, the title of today's sermon is Red on Green. <clears throat> and the reason for that is a little bit uh, cheesy play on words, is that some of you are aware that in your Bibles, many of your Bibles, in the New Testament, sometimes the print is in red, which you know, some of you know, those were, are the words of Jesus. It, it, it distinguishes the very words that Jesus spoke over all the rest of the words. So looking at the red letters, you say, these are the words of Jesus, and today, while the Bible has enormous amounts of wisdom on, on uh, financial matters, and we'll look at some of these uh, next week and the week following, today I want us to look only at what Jesus said about money. Like the red, what Jesus said on the green, our money, our stuff. We're going to look at that. And here's some reason why I want us to focus only on Jesus' words today. First of all, is that the things that Jesus said about our money, our material possessions, our stuff, they apply to every single one of us. The things that Jesus said apply to us whether we're young or old. It applies to you if you're a CEO of a company or if you're like an hourly employee. It applies to you if you own a business or if you're unemployed. It applies to you if you're a one percenter or if you're the rest of us. It applies to you if you're financially strapped, if you're financially stable, or if you have financial surplus. It applies to all of us. And that's why these words of Jesus are so powerful. A second reason that I want us to look specifically at the words of Jesus are this. Because if there's anyone who wants the best for us, it's Jesus. Scripture says that Jesus, who was rich, made himself poor so that out of his poverty we might become rich. He gave up the glories and the riches of heaven, emptied himself out, became a human, lived his life, sacrificed his life and his blood so that we could have forgiveness and life on earth and eternal life forever with him. Who better knows than what's best for us? And he wants the very best for us. The third reason is because what Jesus says about money is at such a deeper level, at such a foundational level, that all the rest of it will build on top of it. And so I want us to look at this. And so Jesus said a lot about money. Jesus talked about money way more than I talk about money. Sometime read through the Gospels with a money filter on and see how often he talks, tells a story, teaches, refers to money, possessions, wealth, debt, those kind of things. He's, he's talking about it all the time. So today I want to give kind of a, a cursory overview of a few of the things that Jesus said. And each one of them, actually this, this sermon could be a whole series, just on the red, on the green. And then I want us to look at one specific section that Jesus talks about. It's because Jesus said these statements, and they were like tweets before tweets were a thing. They're these little, little statements, and sometimes they were like way countercultural. Sometimes they were humorous. Sometimes they were mysterious. They were always true, and sometimes they had such depth to them. Jesus would say a statement like this that people remembered. They actually laughed at it because it was so, so absurd. It was kind of this this hyperbole, he said, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. He would say words like this, don't lay up for yourself treasures here on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. No, no. Lay up for yourself treasures in heaven 
where no moth and rust can destroy and no thief can ever break in and steal. He would say words like, to whom much is given, much is required. Or if someone is, can be trusted with a little, they can be trusted with much. If someone is unfaithful with a little, they'll be unfaithful with much. He would say, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? Over and over again, these statements, one of the most profound little statements he ever made is found in Matthew chapter 6 where he says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And here you see Jesus saying, it's deeper than just a money thing. We're talking on a much deeper level, on a heart level. And over and over and over, he talks about money. He talks about possessions. He talks about saving and giving and investing and, and all these things. It was like this priority for Jesus. But what you'll find is that Jesus' priority was our perspective. That's why he says it over and again. He wants us to see the way he sees, understand the way he understands, recognize the things he recognizes. And most often when he talks about money, it comes with this warning because he understands the dark side. He understands the root. He understands the destruction it could bring. He understands the bondage it could bring. He understands how it can take us away from what's really important. It's like Jesus had read The Hobbit or something like that. And I know that's, that's kind of sacrilegious and, and borderline on uh, heresy. But you, if those of you who are Lord of the Rings and Hobbits fans, you remember Gollum? Remember that nasty little slimy little creature? You, you remember what happened to him? At one point, he was, he was just a hobbit. And yet there was this obsession with the ring. Oh, my precious. <laughs> you know? And it was just this nasty thing. It changed his life. And Jesus understands that wealth has a tendency and the ability to do that to us. And he wants to protect us and he wants to save us from that. There was a time when Jesus was, was telling his story about God's word. I mean, these words that bring about life and transformation, these words that guide us, the words of truth for life and eternity. And he was talking about how God's word is like seed. And the way that we respond, the way that we receive to it, receive it is, is like different kinds of soil. And as he's talking about this, he says this, next verse there, still others, he's talking about the different soils, like seed sown among thorns. So this isn't good agricultural land. It's amongst the thorns. We haven't taken the thorns out. They hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Jesus is saying the tension and the stress and the worry that comes from these little pieces of paper the deception of them, like, like they, they will deceive you. They, they, it's so easy to start thinking your value, your worth, your identity, your purpose is found in these, the deception of wealth, and then that lust for more, the desire for other things. He said all of that has the ability to choke out the very words of God in your life. It's so dangerous, this warning, he says, like, listen, You've got to be very, very careful about this. I don't want this to happen to you. Here's an interesting thing about Jesus. Never once did he ask people to give him money. He never took up a collection for himself. He never took an offering for himself. He told people to pay taxes. He told people to tithe. He told people to give to the poor. He told people to invest in eternal investments. He never asked people for their money. 
In fact, the one time, the only time he told anyone to ever sell everything, the rich young ruler's story, he says, one thing you lack, go sell all your possessions and give it to the poor. Jesus said, I don't want your money. This is the truth. That Jesus, for his followers, he didn't want something from them. He wanted something for them. It's not what he wanted from them. It's not like I'm trying to get rich on you. He says, I want this for you. I want you to get it right on the money. This is so important. I mean, it's beyond just the dollars and cents. It's the condition of your heart. It's the spiritual matter. It's life and death and eternity. That's why this was so important to him. The Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached. You know, we, we know the Beatitudes from that. The Lord's Prayer came from that. In Matthew chapter 6, which is best known for the Lord's Prayer, we spent the fall studying that, you know, for, for weeks. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus talks more about money and the worry that comes with it and trusting God and giving it away than any other so- subject, any other topic. He talks about giving to the poor, not letting your right hand know what your left hand's doing, you know, making sure that your, your attitude is right, you're not doing it for the praise of man. He talks about how you put so much importance on this and then how worried and stressed we get about are we going to have enough, do we have this and that, and, and trust God in the midst of all that. And as he's talking about all of this, he concludes with these words. He says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things, they'll be given to you as well. You've got to get your perspective right. A few verses before that, while he's talking about money and resources, all this worries of life, he said this, no one can serve two masters. Remember, he's talking in the context of financial worlds here. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And then he kind of wraps that whole teaching up when he says, you know, you're going to have to make a decision here. You cannot serve God. And then you think, okay, well, he's coming to this big cosmic conflict. God and the devil, good and evil, light and dark, right and wrong, you know, the death star, whatever it might be. And you would think he's going to bring us to this point of you can't serve God and Satan. It's not what he says. So this, this, this tension here, you cannot serve God and money? Now, wait a second. Is money the anti-God here? What's, he puts those as contrasts against each other. Why would he say that? You cannot serve God and money. Because the top competitor for our heart is money. The thing that draws our attention, the thing that draws our affection, the thing that draws us away from God more than anything else is this money stuff. He said, and I want you to get it right. I want you to get it right on the money. You cannot serve God and money. Some of your translations might say, you cannot serve God and mammon. In fact, some of your old translations might say, you cannot serve God and filthy lucre, which is just a fun thing to say. (laughs) Filthy lucre. Almost like you're cussing. Okay, forget that. So you cannot serve God and mammon is actually a better word. Because mammon is, it, it, it incorporates our material wealth and our possessions, not just our, our paper dollars. Like all the things that we possess, all the things that we have, all of our, all of our wealth. And you think about possessions. A possession is the state of having, owning, or controlling something. It's within my possession. I have it. You know, possessions, 90% of the law. I don't know if that's true or not. But anyway, this possession. Jesus knew. 
And this is the danger he warned against again and again and again. He knew the danger. And the danger is that possessions get possessive. These things that we own, these things that we control, these things that we have, pretty soon, if we're not careful, they start having us. They start owning us. They start controlling us. And he says, I don't want that for any of you. I don't want you to become slave to this. I don't want you to be owned by this. I don't want you to be controlled by this. I want you to control it. I want you to own it. I want you to direct it. I want you to be able to leverage it, not to have it directing your life. You direct it. He says, I want you to get it right on the money. Listen, I'm just scratching the surface of some of the things Jesus said. And, and all these scriptures we've looked at, they could all be a sermon in and of themselves. I'm serious. We could spend the whole uh, next four or five weeks, if we wanted to, talking about what Jesus said about this money. And today I want us to focus on one situation that happens when he's teaching. A man comes to him, and he makes this profound statement. Jesus makes this profound statement, and then he illustrates it with a story. In the remainder of our time, I want us to look at this. We're going to look in Luke chapter 12. If you have your Bible or your tablet or your phone, you want to follow along. Luke, chap Luke chapter 12. Interesting, in the first part of Luke chapter 12, it talks about how this is at the peak, the apex of Jesus' popularity. And when he... When he teaches, people just come out. Like, it says there were thousands and thousands of people, and they're trampling each other to hear his wisdom, his stories, his wit, his insights. He was amazing that the very words of God he would speak. This is one of those occasions. So you can picture thousands and thousands of people. And they're there, and he's teaching some, some profound truths about watching out for the Pharisees and the religious leaders and making sure you're right with God and all that. Deep stuff, spiritual things. And there's an individual in the crowd, and it appears, it's kind of implied, it doesn't state this, it kind of implies he's not really there to hear what Jesus is saying. He's got an ulterior motive. He's got some other agenda. He, he wants to leverage this moment and try to get Jesus to do something for him. So as Jesus is teaching thousands of people, and they're just, they're just caught with rapt attention at every word, just catching all the wisdom that, that comes off of his lips. It's like when he takes a pause, when he comes up for air, this guy says, here's my chance. Verse 13. Someone in the crowd, unnamed guy, someone in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now there's a lot of things we can kind of extrapolate out of this that may not have been stated exactly. Most likely this is a younger brother because in that culture, the older brother, the oldest brother was always the executor of the estate or the will. So this is probably a younger brother. And their dad has died. We don't know when. May have just died. May have died a year ago. We don't know. But this younger brother feels like he's getting ripped off. Feels like he's getting cheated out of his fair share. Feels like this older brother is being stingy, being slow. And maybe the older brother's thinking the younger brother's being selfish and greedy, whatever it might be. But he comes to Jesus and maybe he thinks, and maybe his brother's right there with him. And maybe he thinks, I can shame my brother into doing something in front of these thousands of people. And if I can get Jesus to back me up, I mean, who's going to say no to Jesus? Come on. So, so he's going to use this and leverage this opportunity. And so he says, Jesus, tell my brother to split the inheritance with me. One more little side possibility to, to understand on this. In ancient cultures, a family to remain solvent and powerful would never divide up an inheritance. 
That's why it went to the oldest son and everyone worked because the family could keep all of the flocks, all of the land, all of the fields, all of the crops, and it would allow the family name to go forward with strength into the future. To divide it up would to diffuse, diffuse their power and probably, and probably make it weaker. Maybe what this younger guy deep inside is saying, I don't care about my family and my dad's gone. I just want my share. You kind of see his heart now. And what he's asking isn't completely out of, out of uh, the realm of possibility. Very often people would come to rabbis to, to make these kind of decisions. Jesus wants nothing to do with it. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? I'm not getting involved with this one. And you wonder what's the rest of the crowd, the thousands of people that are there are thinking, who is this guy, and where does he get off trying to get, you know, we're trying to listen to Jesus, and he's trying to get money. And Jesus says, I'm not going to be involved. Here's the brilliance of Jesus. Because everyone's heard this. And Jesus says, you know what? This young man is not the only one who deals with this. I can take this opportunity for what he said, and I can teach the truth to thousands of people. They all need to hear this. And so Jesus follows up with this statement, it's one of those like, tweet that one out. This was an amazing statement. So instead of just talking to the young man there, he turns to these thousands of people and he said to them, verse 15, then he said to them, watch out. Like, be on your guard. I mean, he's, he's got this caution flag going up. Some of you are old enough to remember, danger, Will Robinson. <laughs> you remember that lost in space with the dryer vents on his arm? Okay, you know, and it's, like, it's like Elmer Fudd. Be very careful. <laughs> so what happens is Jesus says, watch out. It's like everyone's cell phone lights up with an amber alert. He's like, watch out. Actung, baby. This is very important. Watch out. Be on your guard. I want you guys to understand this. He says, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. He says, don't be greedy. I think the most important part of this line are these two words, all kinds. See, there's not just one face of greed. Greed comes in all kinds. There's 50 shades of greed. There's all kinds of different faces of greed. Greed is different for everybody. Here's the interesting thing about greed. We think, oh, yeah, Uncle Scrooge or whatever. That's greed. Jesus says, wait, 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 wait. There's all kinds of greed, and here's the frightening thing. This is why you have to watch out. Because you can see greed in other people, but you don't see it in yourself. It's real easy to spot the greed in that young man. But he says, look in the mirror. Greed is insidious. It'll sneak up on you. It'll be a part of you, and you don't even realize it. It is engulfing you, and you're not even aware that it's happening. And sometimes, here's the, the, the real sneaky, sinister part of greed is sometimes greed will camouflage itself as a virtue in your life. You may be gripped with greed, but you sell it like, no, 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 I'm not greedy. I'm responsible. I'm conservative. I'm, I'm fiscally conservative. I'm frugal. I, I take care of my stuff. I, I'm preparing for the future. I'm, I'm, I'm doing what is smart and wise. And while that may be partially true, deep underneath it, it may be greed that's got a grip on your heart. And Jesus says, watch out, all of you. Because I can imagine many in the crowd are saying, that guy is so greedy. And Jesus is saying, yeah, he might be, but you might be as well. Because greed looks different for every single one of us. So be on your guard. 
against all kinds of greed. And then just one of these statements, you're like, wow. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. To which we'd say, yeah, we agree with that. There, there's more to life than what we have, where we live, what we drive, what we wear, we, how we vacation. We understand that. But do we really live that way? I mean, if an objective outsider looked at your life, would they say, yeah, you can really tell with them that stuff isn't what they're all about? Or would it be different? And Jesus just says, watch out. And then in classic Jesus form, he illustrates his truth with a story so they can understand it. Here's the truth. Let me tell you a story. So he starts off. Told him this parable. The ground of a certain rich man, it's already doing really well, produced a good crop, and he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Now this is good. I mean, this guy seems to have it right on the money. He's already doing well, and then he has multiple years, it appears, not just maybe one bumper crop year, a lot of years where things have done really well. He's, he's planted well, he's harvested well, he's got a lot, and he's kind of got a really good first world problem. You know, like my accounts are all full. I got to open up new accounts. You know, my, my portfolio is just, it's just bursting. I, I, need, I need more room. And so it, it appears that this is good. He's got the Midas touch, everything. He's a very successful businessman. This is a good thing. He's responsible. So he goes into action. This is how he gets, got here in the first place, is that he's a, he's a doer. He gets on the solution side of things. He says, I'll, I'll figure this one out. And he said, this is what I'll do. Got an idea. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. On the one hand, this seems very conservative, very responsible, very fiscally wise. He's preparing for the future. He's working hard. He's saving. I mean, it all looks really, really good on the one hand. And there are aspects that are really, really good. He's got it going on. Interesting little side note for Bible study purposes. When Jesus tells parables, usually who he's telling the parable to, they can find themselves in the story. And very often, he has God represented in the story. Very rarely does he say, this person represents God. But it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure this out. Like, maybe it's the father, the king, the master, the judge, the landowner. You, you read the story and you go, okay, that represents God. Rarely does he say, and God said. I, I believe, and you Bible scholars can, can figure this out for me. I believe this is the only parable, and he told lots of them. This is the only parable when God appears as God, not as a father, a king, a landowner, or a judge, or a master. But God said to him. So Jesus is telling this hypothetical story, and he brings God in, and God speaks to this man who's done so well for himself. And God said to him, you would think, well, he's going to be you know, you, you've taken what I've given you, and you've, you've, you've increased it. You've been responsible. God said to him, you fool. You fool. 
the deception of wealth has sucked you in. It fooled you, didn't it? You drank the Kool-Aid. You bit the bait. You, you got sucked in by it. You are a fool. You believe that your wealth, that your value, that your identity, that your purpose, that your life consisted in all the stuff you, you thought that was most important. You're a fool. And not only that, but this very night, he says, your life will be demanded from you. You spent your whole life gathering all this so that you could live. But now your life is over. And maybe, kind of implied, you neglected your health for all these years. And yeah, you got storehouses filled with stuff. But you're not going to live to enjoy it. And yeah, you spent your whole life acquiring all this and being wealthy and rich and everyone looking successful in everyone's eyes. But maybe you never had a relationship with your boys. That's why they're not even grieving your death right now. They're more interested in getting your money. Because this was more important than your family. Oh, you acquired all this, but you know what legacy you left? You taught your boys inadvertently by watching your example that money is more important than relationships. They can't even get along. Your young son doesn't care about the family and the brothers are fighting. Why? Because they're following your footsteps because you showed them money's more important than relationships and family and even health or even life. You fool. And now, he says, and who will get what you have prepared for yourself? You were pretty smart, weren't you? Here's the interesting thing. The largest, greatest, biggest financial transaction you will ever make is death. Because at death, you get incredibly generous. You give it all away. Some to taxes and the government, your fighting family, your kids who don't care about anything. You give it all away. It says, you fool. Oh, yeah, now you're Mr. Generous because you are dead. And I wonder, I wonder if this young man is sitting there thinking to himself, this isn't just a hypothetical story. I don't know how he did it, but he's telling the story of my dad's life. That's what happened to my dad. And that's going to be the story of my life if I don't do something different. And I just want to say, as Jesus is telling this story, we can quickly come to the conclusion, then does that mean we don't work hard, we don't try to be successful, we don't save for the future, we don't have retirement? That's not what he's saying at all. Not at all. He sums it up with, again, this zinger of a statement that he says to this young man and to the thousands who are listening and to us, this is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. Nothing wrong with working hard. Nothing wrong with being successful. Nothing wrong with saving for the future. Nothing wrong with preparing for your retirement. Nothing wrong with, in fact, we'll look at those things over the next couple of weeks. Nothing wrong with that at all. What's wrong is when you are so secure in your stuff, your hope, your security, your identity, your value, your purpose, your life, who you are and what you're about is all in that, 
and you have nothing to do with God, you're a fool. You've sacrificed your health. You've sacrificed your marriage. You've sacrificed your children. You've sacrificed your integrity. You've sacrificed everything that is really important. That's foolish. Don't be a fool. Jesus would speak this to these thousands of people. And what I've said before is that Jesus wasn't trying to get something from them. Jesus wasn't trying to take people's money and keep it. He was trying to keep people's money from taking them. He said, I don't want this to be the story of your life. Let's go back to that, that verse that we looked at early on. Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That there's something about it, not the other way around, not where your heart is, there your treasure will be. He said, there's this weird thing about us as humans, that our heart follows our treasure. The good news about that is, we get to direct our treasure and it can be a catalyst for building a heart that is rich towards God. Now, I wonder, as we, as we just close with this, Jesus has a situation with this young man, makes a statement, tells a story for thousands of his listeners. And he speaks to them directly. And I think that for us today, these very words of Jesus speak to us how gladly I would step off of this platform and let Jesus come up here. And in this context, this is what he would say. Then Jesus said to Cornwall, and Jesus said to you, and Jesus said to Bob Marvel, Jesus said to all the pastors, all the elders, all the staff, everyone that volunteers, Jesus said to everyone who attends Cornwall, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. I want you to get it right on the money. That it starts at a heart level. When you get that right, we can build everything else. So here's my challenge for you this week. Next week we're going to look at the incredible wisdom of the wisest, wealthiest man who ever lived on our finances, this week, would you have the courage and the honesty to look at your own life and say, God, where's their greed in my life? And, and in, before you start justifying and qualifying, you say, I want to be open. Is there greed? Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Where's the greed in my life? And how can I, how can I be rich towards you? in my life. You know, last week we talked about these five chairs. That's how we grow in our richness towards God. I'm committed to the word and, and, and to the gathering here and in a community and, and making a difference in this world and reaching out to others in the name of Jesus. That's what I want. I want for us to be rich in the things of God. I don't want any of us to ever hear, you fool. I want us to confront the greed in our lives and get it right on the money. So as we close, I'm going to invite you to stand. Luke and the team are going to come out. And as we are continuing to grow rich in the things of God, one of the ways we do that is by worshiping him. And what an incredible song about the greatness of God as we worship together and grow in our richness toward him.
All the 
Father, we are so grateful that you are not only great in your majesty, you're great in your mercy and in your grace, you're great in your love for us, your desire for us to live life right according to your word. So I pray that we would trust you, we would trust your word, we would follow what you've said to us, all for your glory. We pray this in your great name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Hey, if you'd like prayer, our prayer team will be here in the front. If you'd like to find out more about our ministries in Haiti, there are uh, volunteers in the back. Also want to encourage you for the Financial Peace University. Sign up tomorrow morning. Have a great day. I love you. You're out of here.